Welcome to our online workshop Brazilian Art from 1960s to 1980s and Aesthetics of the Margins with Claudia Kalirman. My name is Caterina Valdivia Bruch and I'm the Artistic Director of the project Rethinking Conceptualism, Avant-Garde Activism and Politics in Latin American Art from the 1960s to 1980s. This workshop was supposed to happen end of April this year, but due to the coronavirus pandemic, we had to postpone it and decided to put it online. We are very happy that Claudia Kalirman agreed to do the workshop in this virtual form. So we now welcome her and leave you with her introduction on the term marginalia, and how the Brazilian artists during the late 60s until the 80s were using this terminology to express their artistic practices. We would like to thank Claudia for being with us and everybody who came to the workshop and participated. We leave you now with Claudia's presentation and for the podcast, what you will hear is Claudia's presentation. Thank you very much for being with us, and thank you, Claudia. Thank you so much, Katarina, for inviting me to thank do this you. and your excitement about this. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, all of you, for uh, being here. You know, the topic today is about marginality. That's what um, Katarina asked me to, to talk about today the, and start talking about the term and what the terms mean in terms of the artistic production in Brazil in the 60s, uh, late 60s and early 70s. And I think that's a good uh, topic to, 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 to bring up and to start the discussion. So I'm just going to unfold a few, um, you know, uh, a few ways to think about that, and then we can open up for the discussion. So it's just a brief introduction. So uh, the term marginality really started uh, in the late 60s. You know, Brazil started the dictatorship in 1964. Uh, and at that point, we're going to have this kind of uh, polarity between a group of uh, artists who were related to the left in the way that they thought that art should be for the people. So they were thinking about uh, grassroots kind of art related to, in the way to the more orthodox left, right? So they would do uh, theaters, think about Augusto Boal and, uh, you know, other uh, characters who would do art in the in the in the factories, uh, in schools, like talking to a, a more broader kind of uh, population. And on the other hand, you have what we're going to call uh, the culture of, in Portuguese, you say "desbunde," meaning drop out, which very much the people who are totally alienated from that political discussion. So we can think about, you know, rock. Uh, rock and roll, drugs, and 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 that kind of sixties hippies uh, mentality. So how, the way I understand marginality is something that is uh, an alternative for these two groups, uh, because marginality is uh, the, what artists were not necessarily affiliated uh, with the left. I mean, they were leftists, but they were not affiliated to any party, to any kind of organization. But at the same time, they're not really just going to the beach and lying down. So there is this proposal for action. 
action. So it's an affirmative way of thinking uh, about the role of the arts. And I think that's very important to think about. So it's not being marginal of society, so being alienated, being outside, but as a, a proposal for some kinds of, 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 of program. I would say. And, and of course, the first thing that comes to mind is this banner from Elwich Sika, uh, to be an outcast, to be a hero, which he did uh, in homage to one of his friends who was an outcast uh, who was uh, killed by the police after he had robbed a bank. Uh, so that's the banner that Oichisika did in his homage, and uh, because of this banner, this banner was was put in the in a show, uh, a musical show by Catano Veloso and Gilberto Gil, and the police came and said, oh, you shouldn't be saying, be, be, be a marginal, be a hero, you should be saying, be a hero, be studious, and they closed the show, and that triggered uh, the imprisonment of Caetano Veloso and Gilberto Gil. So that's kind of became like a very iconic kind uh, of banner uh, at, the, at the time. The other uh, point that I would like to, to do here uh, it's like this relationship of Wichita. So we saw him uh, with this friend who, who robbed the bank, and now we're going to see his relationship to this other outcast called Cara de Cavallo, who uh, is a different person from the, the banner that we saw, but it was his friend, and Cara de Cavallo was, uh, you know, uh, was uh, running away from the police and... Uh, you know, and he, he, he went into a kind of a, a, a fight and he killed a policeman. And because of them, he was really uh, searched for, right? The whole, imagine the whole corporation against this guy. And when they found him, they shot him with uh, 50 shots uh, at least. And and Ojasika would say, well, he was my friend. I don't see him as an outcast, as a bandit, but as a friend. So there was this relationship of which Sika with this kind of, uh, you know, marginalia in the way, but in terms of uh, criminality that he didn't see in that way. He saw those people as his own friends. Another way to think about marginality, uh, and, and here you have the Parangolese, and that's something that we can talk later too, uh, you know, this immersion of which Sika into the favelas, right? Into the samba school, into the Mangueira samba school. And I think what is important to bring here when we see this image is that uh, in Brazil, we have this myth of the racial uh, democracy, right? Uh, that, uh, you know, there's no racial prejudice. And that comes from a very important essay uh, by Gilberto Freire back to 19. 33. And after uh, after Gilberto Freire wrote that essay, uh, that, that book that is called uh, Casa Grande Senzala, right? Uh, the Masters and the Slaves, we will have in 1936 an essay by Sergio Buarque de Holanda that is going to call The Cordial Man, which also talks about uh, this idea of uh, camaraderie, this idea of, uh, you know, th this friendship, uh, this idea of affection between the lower classes and the upper classes in Brazil as if things there's no tension there. Uh, so the, the idea that it, it was until this time of, of the people from the favelas or the people from this kind of, um, you know, lower ranks of society, the disenfranchised people in Brazil, which 
it's a majority, was that they were nice people, just nice people. I think what Oichusika is bringing with those parangolas when he says, I am possessed, right? Which could be by drugs, by rage, by whatever this possession is about. Uh, and I'm going to show you another one here. He says, I incorporate revolt. I think what he's giving to uh, these people is potency. He's giving them a kind of rebelliousness, a kind of affirmation that was not there before. Before they were seen as passive agents, right? And now they have some kind of, uh, of, of, of uh, energy, of kind of intensity, I would say, that Oichisika is bringing. Still, uh, you have Oichisika, someone from the middle class, the, the you know, white middle class, talking in the name of uh, this, uh, the, the, the people from uh, you know the lower classes or the black population, Brazil, in the way of or, or through his friends, but still uh, those people have absolutely no voice. So, 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 but the voice at this moment is still true. In artists, is true mediated uh, through the middle class, and I think that's important because this is only going to change very recently. So it's very important to say that about uh, the sixties. But what is very important is to give voice to people who, until that point, had absolutely no voice, especially in the visual arts. The first time uh, we just about this parangolas to the Museum of Modern Art in nineteen sixty-five, uh, the people were simply expelled from the museum, so they were not even accepted into that kind of, uh, you know, institution, and Oichisika was enraged by that. Uh, another way of thinking about marginality would be through Lija Papi, and I'm just giving a few examples from my essay that you read so we can talk about it, where Lija Papi is going to talk about the stagnation of museums. So uh, one, way, one thing that she's doing here, that it's, this is a box, right? It's an acrylic box, and she's putting real ants, like big ants, they're kind of eating this real piece of meat. And what happened, what is happening is that the ants, uh, you know, start to, 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 to run away from this box. They're able to escape the box, and they start to go around the museum, to move around the museum into the works of other artists. And these other artists are all male artists. So there is this kind of, in a way, this idea of, uh, you know, breaking this patriarchal order uh, in the art world that I think is very important to talk about, but also talking about the stagnation of museums in terms of uh, marginality. And another point that Lija Pap is going to do, and these are uh, real cockroaches that she glues on the bottom of a mirror, so you can even see yourself reflected in this mirror, is that uh, when the museum says that they have money to buy one of her works, that's the works that she offered to the museum. And the museum says, no, I, I, I'm, you know, thank you very much. It's like repugnant. We don't want to buy this work. So what she's saying is also the idea that as a contemporary artist, can you hear? She is outside of the market. So being a marginal of the art market that is in, in, in existence. So there's no art market for contemporary art, but even if there was one, these artists feel like they are outsiders, they are marginal from that kind of art circuit. So I think that's very important to, to think about. Uh, we talked about, I asked you to read this manifesto, I don't know if you read it or not, uh, but what is important is that it's going to be a revival of this manifesto uh, in the 60s, and what is the idea of the manifesto? The, the idea of the manifesto is like, let's, uh, you know, appropriate 
the European culture, right, which was done in 1928, so nobody's talking about North American culture, but about European culture, that's appropriated, that's eated, digested, and kind of, uh, if I can use this word, vomit, or, or bring it back something that is Brazilian. In that moment was Brazilian. Today, everybody talks about this manifesto, and it is whatever you know, people want it to be. But at that moment, that was the model that was being proposed. To appro so, so it's not to negate, though, it's not to be xenophobic. No, let's not, you know, it's not to be nationalist. Let's just think about ourselves. No, let's take what we want from other cultures and bring it to us. And that's uh, exactly what um, Kijano, Anibal Kijano, is talking about in his essay of decolonialism is how much the European culture appropriated what they wanted from, you know, the colonies and then took it as they were theirs. Like, they, they don't give any credit to the colonies, to what they took away from that, from, from them. And so when, when there is this revival on this, in the 60s about uh, the manifesto anthropophagical, it's going to come through this notion of the tropicalia, right? Tropicalism. And what is the tropicalia? Tropicalia started as a musical movement, and you have here Caetano Veloso wearing the parangolas, so we're kind of connecting everything together. And the idea was also this idea to, to incorporate electronic guitars, to incorporate rock and roll, to bring all this kind of, in the way, international uh, movements into grassroots, into samba, right, into bossa nova. So let's do like a, a mix of things, but not be afraid of uh, the new of what is not just grassroots. And of course, they were very much criticized, but I think it goes in the same lines uh, of the manifesto uh, anthropophagical. Uh, what I think is very important here, and I'm showing you a few of the Super 8 movies, because Super 8, uh, you know, this idea of Super 8 movies, video, that was the beginning of all of that in Brazil. And this was about, you know, the marginal cinema that was there also at this moment. Um, and, and of course, these artists are going to be very much influenced by the marginal cinema. Uh, what is important here is that they are uh, in the way incorporated their works uh, Amerigens populations, right? The culture of the Amerigens, especially Lija Pak was extremely interested in that. Uh, she's going to talk about, uh, you know, she's going to make fun of the way that uh, people see uh, black people as criminals, as, uh, you know, the peoples from the favela as criminals. And you see here in one of her movies, Katachi Katachi, how she's personifying that, right? The guy with this rock, like it's going to throw, think about uh, today, right? I mean, it's so fresh, all this stuff. And of course, uh, she went a lot to this favela da Marea with her students. She used to teach architecture, so she would bring her students to the favela of the Marea because she thought that it was extremely creative, the kinds of architectural spaces that were uh, built into this favela that is uh, built on water, right? Um, and, and she was extremely interested by that. Uh, so why, why do I think it's important to relate this to the essay? Why that essay on the decoloniality, I think it's it's interesting for us to talk, because I think what Kijano is saying, like he's explaining how 
coloniality and modernity are totally connected. You cannot be one without the other, right? How modernity was based on what was taken from the colonies, right? One wouldn't exist without the other. But I think what these artists are doing that is even more important is trying to decolonize Brazil itself. Because what Kijon is saying is that those structures of powers, they are reproduced in the colonies. So in the colonies, you also have this white uh, upper middle class that identifies more with Europe and with today the United States than with the poor population. So whatever comes from, uh, you know, this this, uh, population, the black population, the Berigians, until then was like folklore as opposed to the elite. And I think what Oitisica and and Papi are doing here is, uh, in a way, is to bring that paradigm. It's saying it's not folkloric what these people are doing. Uh, it's it, it's it's a way to decolonize Brazilian art itself. You know, to to, to bring what uh, you know the, the favela architecture, the culture of the Merigians, and say there is potency there. There is uh, you know creativity there. These guys are inventors. They have to invent modes of living into the adversity that they live, and and doing that uh, they try to break that colonial white uh, you know the frozen structure that we have uh, in the place like Brazil and just to, to end I think that only really that's my understanding after 2010 so very recently uh, you know you have the, the black communities talking f- by themselves you have uh, people like Dejamila Ribeiro uh, that's going to talk it's a very now chic chic like fancy book what is the place of speech that we can talk about that that she talks about, you know, you have to say where you're talking from, your place in society, your, your privileges, so you have to disclose all of that, who are you talking for, don't talk for us, we want to have your own voices, but all these voices are coming now, and, and, and another thing that I think is important for us to talk, and you have Grada Quilombo, and you're going to have Denise Ferreira da Silva, who is going to say that the problem in Brazil that always uh, the, the social inequality was related to class and not race. And I think Oitusika and Papi are bringing race into the question, something that is disregarded in Brazil because of this myth of the racial democracy that I tried to explain in the beginning. So uh, when we have, like, uh, in 2010, you have Neymar, the soccer player, uh, someone asked him, did you ever suffer racism? And he said, no, because, uh, you know, because uh, I am not black. So what Denise uh, Ferreira da Silva is saying is that because there's no apartheid in Brazil, there is no, um, there was never like this very uh, racial segregation. There was never like this cut between black and white because of the idea of miscegenation. Uh, people don't feel like they are uh, black, right? And, 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 and that doesn't let, uh, in a way, that culture uh, affirm itself. So now it is affirm itself, but it took a long, long time for it to, to happen in Brazil. And part of it is this problem of miscegenation, which I think is a very interesting uh, topic for us. My last point that I wanted to do here, and I promise it will be the last one, is that 
all this decolonial, uh, you know, theory that we have Walter Mignolo, Aníbal Quijano, uh, Henrique Dussel, it's now being criticized by Amerigian scholars. They are saying that they, uh, in the way they used that, they appropriated their culture, their theories, to become part of the elite, uh, to the intellectual elite, to find, to get jobs at Harvard, to get jobs in the U.S., to get jobs whatever. So those scholars also appropriated from the culture uh, that was uh, the local cultures to create their platform. So there is a critique of the decolonization through what we're going to call cognitive extractivism, which is something that uh, it's current now. So you know, all of these layers and layers and layers that we can kind of uh, open up here uh, for the discussion, I think that's uh, important. So that's what I had to say, and uh, we can open up. Thanks, Claudia, for this engaging presentation. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. And we leave you with these reflections to think about the topic. Thank you very much for listening, and see you soon online.